podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. 1980s Halloween songs. It was breaking the law. Well, because we already knew that I was breaking the law. (laughs) Gray strikes again. Yep. Hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name's Will, and joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Ray and Kat. Hello. Howdy. On today's show, we're going to be talking about 10... Uh, I don't know, I'm going to say 10 popular, but 10 1980s quote-unquote Halloween songs, right? Songs that mm-hmm. we associate and some of you listening associate with Halloween because you wrote in, let us, wrote in and let us know about that. They run the gamut. And uh, I'll admit some of them I wasn't familiar with, but I am now. Um, so I look mm-hmm. forward to doing that. But before we get into any of that, it is time once again to... Thank you for your cooperation. Hey, we got an email from Rick... Parker. And Rick writes, uh, first off, I love the podcast. You guys are doing a great job with 80s news, fun interviews, and tons of nostalgia. I turned 11 in 1980, so my entire teen experience was in the 1980s, and I agree that it was the best decade for pop culture. And now this is where Rick's email gets interesting because he provides information that we didn't have on our last episode. FYI, the mixtape tour is called that if you remember, I said that uh, the right. quote from Donnie Wahlberg was, it's called yeah. the mixtape tour because it's like a mixtape. It mm-hmm. uh, takes you through all the emotions. <laughs> well, apparently there's more to that. And Rick uh, sets us straight. He says, it's called that because instead of the typical opening act, middle act headliner, the groups alternate songs throughout. Uh-huh. So New Kids on the Block may actually perform the first song or two and then Salt and Peppa. Nice. Then someone else, then back to New Kids and so on and so forth. He said, I'm not a fan of New Kids on the Block, but I do give them credit for trying something different on tour. Be excellent and party on. Thanks, Rick. That's great. Mm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I know Ray said uh, (laughs) mixtape he was hoping was they play songs (laughs) from somebody else. Um, But hearing this, this, I'm even more, you know, I was semi-interested already, but that's really cool. You know, I mean, sometimes you got to sit through some Mm -hmm. of the duds of someone you like Mm -hmm. in concert to get to the other good songs. But if -hmm. everyone's doing their hits and it's mixed up, I don't know, that sounds a lot more intriguing to me. Definitely. Definitely. It's like the shuffle feature. You know, if, you, if you're hearing your yes. playlist in the same order mm. all the time, it gets a little predictable. But <laughs> oh, what if the audience could actually like, no, I'm, skip. They could all hit skip. If enough people hit skip, <laughs> step by step, the new kids have to step by step right off the stage and salt and pepper comes on and plays something and we can skip that and so on and so forth. <laughs> like a gong show. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think this could be because they're older now and dancing and singing wears them out? Mm. So they got to hit back and get some oxygen before they come back out. That's interesting. Yeah, that's possible. Sure. Hmm. They need little breaks now and then. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mm-hmm. appearance on Kelly Clarkson, they weren't very gingerly doing their dance moves, <laughs> which are never very, weren't very you know, terribly dynamic anyway, I don't think. But, mm. Right, right. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for that, Rick. If you like to write to us in the show, you could use the form on our website. You could message us on Facebook or just send an email to me like Rick did at Will, or I'm at Will. Uh, I keep saying at over and over again. That's going to confuse people. Email me 
Wait, no, I have to say at though. Email me at will at 1980snow.com. And I only worry with middle-aged folks. They may be putting a bunch of at symbols on. At will, at. Do people do that? I don't know. I'm sure they do. Or don't do that. All right, hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news. Huh. So, hey, this week hmm? on 1980s news, hey, our, our friends at Million Miler are releasing their first music video. All right, so, hey, Million Miler is the, the Grammy Award winning Tom Higginson's 80s inspired uh, solo project, right? We've talked about mm-hmm. it many times. We're huge fans. Tom was on the show, I don't know, a few months ago. Uh, talking about it when, it when it first came out. We just gave away the vinyl and cassette copies of his uh, first uh, album, Millie. Mm-hmm. Well, a week ago, Humans Were Here, which is Tom's record label, and, and Million Miler, both posted a mysterious clip on Instagram mm-hmm. teasing a, an upcoming music video, and we were intrigued. Mm-hmm. If, if you saw the clip, it's uh, show this sort of, uh, sort of a lot of these videos that are coming out now, you know, where military ha- are spotting uh, UFOs, you know, flying around and they don't know what these things are. That stuff becomes, <laughs> these videos become declassified. Um, <laughs> well, not only are we fans of Million Miler, the songs are great and the vibe is 1980s, but you can't get more 1980s than invoking UFOs. <laughs> now, Ray and I did an episode about this, I don't know, last year, I guess it was, talking to mm-hmm. Jerome Clark. And I think mm-hmm. Ray, I think Ray said we were more afraid of being abducted by aliens than we were abducted by strangers. <laughs> right? That's that is a hundred percent accurate. Right? Well, I think you know, the opposite was true for me, but I right? I remember. Hmm. <laughs> well, so you know, we were we were curious what this video was going to be, so we reached out to uh, Tom, mm-hmm. and we got a sneak peek of the video, which is their first video. Uh, for this Million Miler project, for their song, I think we could say it, Zuma Beach is the song. Um, mm-hmm. And without any spoilers, uh, what did you guys think about the video? So I can't give any spoilers? Well, yeah, we could allude to I, some things. It's it's going to be out. I, it's out today, sometime today. We'll oh, talk about that in a second here. All right. Well, I loved it. Yeah. It was great. I was definitely confused by the teaser and I'm like, I've heard this song. What does it have to do? Oh. What do UFOs <laughs> have to do with it? But then uh, watching the video, yeah. I... It was awesome. Took notes here. What did I write? <laughs> it was unexpectedly humorous. Yeah. And I run, I love the irony in it. Hmm. Okay. It, because he's behaving as this, as if this is just a normal person that he has encountered. Mm. <laughs> and, um, but we, you know, we, we know it's not. And he just sort of matter of factly is interacting with her. Yeah. It's a lot of spoilers. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> okay, it's but it's got okay. me thinking something else. But uh, oh, oh, I want to hear that. Look, since the 1980s, we've evolved at a point that I don't know. These are not too many spoilers, right? <laughs> that what happens in the video <laughs> could happen, and like you're saying, mm-hmm. the human, the human. Oh God, that's giving away too much. The person, Tom's character, could be mm-hmm. like, oh, this is fine. This is just a normal mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's like I'm and not interested. Was. You know, and uh, <laughs> is, uh, right, I'm going to give too much away. There's what, a, what there's think, a very, yep. I liked it a lot. There's a, a very Captain Kirk vibe to it. Hmm. Oh, okay. And there's also a, a quick little tie in to ET. Yes. If you watch very closely. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yes. <laughs> so there's a lot of cool, <laughs> yes. cool stuff going on. If you pay attention, it's yeah. a, it's a cool mm-hmm. video. Yeah. It's great. That's really great. Yep. yep. And it feels like it could have been made in the eighties. You know, he's, he's even got a, like a eighties, uh, which driving a Camaro. Uh, hmm. I, yeah, what was that? It was like a Camaro or a Trans Am. Well, I guess not a Trans Am yeah. or a, 
Daytona. I don't know. Yeah, some 80s. But, you know, car. to your point about like, what does this have to do with Zuma Beach? Yes. You know, in the 80s, you had a lot of songs where it was like the song was one thing and then the video was something else. And, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We did. But this one, it's delightful. The juxtaposition of the mm. story and, and the song. Because my brain was working, gotcha. you know, trying to work both. And it yeah. was like, it was just great. Huh. Loved it. So the video will premiere on Million Miler's YouTube channel on Monday, October 25th at 3 p.m. Central. So if, you have, if you're listening to this show here and you still have time, you could head over to Millie's uh, YouTube channel in time, Monday, October 25th, which would have to be today, I guess, because that's when this episode came out at 3 p.m. Central. And then there's going to be an Instagram live uh, following the premiere on uh, Million Miler's Instagram channel. Mm -hmm. So if you have a chance, check out the premiere. Otherwise, make sure you head over to Million Miler on YouTube to check out the video and let us know what you think about it. Because, you know, as 80s fans, we are, you know, maybe the ultimate judges as what might uh, compass for contemporary 80s uh, pop culture. Right. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Hey, mm -hmm. per blab another 80s news, per Blabbermouth and other sources, Vince Neil fell off the stage in Tennessee. Oh, my goodness. This guy cannot get a break. <laughs> nope. <laughs> On Friday, October 15th, Motley Crue's lead singer was performing with his solo band at the Monsters on the Mountain Festival in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. According to Metal Sludge, the incident occurred early into the set while the group was performing Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away. In a fan-filmed video of the episode, Vince can be seen encouraging the crowd to clap at the end of the song while stepping forward toward the front of the stage before losing his footing and falling off. He just went away. Yeah. He just dropped. I couldn't believe that. You were saying <laughs> there he, was no stumble. No, he just boom. He didn't scared. go away. He just went away. <laughs> yes. Uh. He just went away. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a singer alive uh. or a guitar player who hasn't fallen off the stage at one point or another. Yeah. You just, <laughs> it just happens. Ray? Did that happen to you, Ray? Yeah. Oh yeah. I've done it. <laughs> I think everyone in every band I've been in that wasn't a drummer has fallen off a song. Wasn't a drummer because he's sitting down. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's really easy to do. You you walk towards the front and the yeah. lights, you can't oh, really yeah. see where the front is anyway. So oh. right off you go. Wow. The difference is, is he's not in his twenties anymore. Mm. So he gets broken ribs out of it for this, uh, for yeah. this one. Yeah. And um, so Neil has not posted any updates on his condition on social media. It was early reported as Ray pointed out that he had broken some ribs, but according to the metal den, this is just in Neil suffered an injury that is being kept secret from the public due to the embarrassing nature of the injury. According to their sources, Neil is said to have ruptured one of his testicles when he hit oh, the concrete my. floor and, quote, landed on his ball sack, which those closest to the situation say may have saved his life, end quote. Boy, this has got a lot, I've got a lot of questions saved about his, his testicles. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, are they as big as like a flotation device <laughs> so that when he landed on it, saved his life? I hear a sound like boing or something. Yeah. It's like a whoopee cushion or something when he lands on it. I would imagine it sounds like a, a beanbag chair, I guess. Oh, yeah, like that. <laughs> oh I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's like an airbag. They inflated on impact yeah. to save yeah. him. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my God. I felt bad for him when I heard he broke ribs. When I heard that, uh, yeah, that's horrible. Mm. This is the first time hearing that. That one, I was a little surprised that his personal insulation didn't protect his ribs, but no. ooh, okay. <laughs> mm. Man. That's a tough one. Hey, in other 1980s news, two updates in the ever-evolving saga of the Indiana Jones sequel that have me saying, You've got to be kidding. <laughs> All right, here we go. Per mm. deadline, 
and a number of other sources, Disney has just shifted its entire Marvel movie theatrical schedule for 2022 and beyond. After being stuck in development hell for years, we've been talking about it on this show, certainly, eager to see the movie, Indiana Jones fans are going to have to wait even longer for the follow-up to the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Disney has announced that the Indiana Jones sequel, which was sitting on the same release date as Warner Brothers' uh, Black Adam next year, which was July 29th, 2022, now moves to a date nearly a full year later, June 30th, 2023. <sighs> and actually, Why do they say... You know, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it actually turns out that's Independence, Week, uh, Independence Day weekend, that mm -hmm. uh, where Universal already has an untitled Illumination movie scheduled. So it's possible right. that Indiana Jones gets moved again. I'm thinking if they don't want to compete with the next minions or something, you know? Right. Well, yeah, I was curious about why that paragraph right there started with yeah. even better, the Indiana Jones sequel, which was sitting on the same, same really, why would it be even better that it would be moved? Like, unless it was, what's up with that? <laughs> because yeah. it was mm. up against a what was it going up well, against? No, Warner Brother DC's Black Adam? Was that? It's because no one proofreads crap anymore. They just want to get it out as quick as possible. Yeah. I'm with Ray. That's why it's written like that. Yes. Okay. They, All right. It was just, a, yep. I'm with Ray. Somebody, yeah. Okay. Well, nothing against <laughs> Deadline or whoever that particular that works. article yeah. was that we read, but a lot of this stuff, yeah. It's like they're cranking it out and they don't actually read it. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's <laughs> as if I'm one of their journalists and no right. one's proofreading what I've written. <laughs> That's uh, that's exactly what this is. No, he probably told his editor, no, I don't listen to other people. So either are you going to take what I write or I'm just not going to do it at all. And I'm going to go drink at Rob's. Right. Or whatever that guy said. That's exactly what happened. Yep. I'm half tempted now to just take my phone and start filming my own movie. Oh, yes. Based off of the information we already have. <laughs> I'm up for that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to do a little claymation or get live action? I, no, people? I think it, it would have to be live action. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So maybe I'll have to get working on that because I'm pretty sure I could get mine done before mm -hmm. 2023. Because yes, yes, I was going to yes. um, volunteer. We have uh, the Indiana Jones action figures, the little, <laughs> you know, the little, <laughs> I forget yeah. what the, the brand name is. I could, well, I could ship know, them to you. <laughs> a lot of the special, uh, special effects may be done with, Lego miniatures and stuff just to mm -hmm. save some money on, you know, okay. mm -hmm. CGI and whatnot. To stretch that, a dollar. Yeah. yeah okay. that, that I don't have. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I look forward to seeing Ray getting dragged behind a pickup truck <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and even worse news in connection with this film, however, additional set photos of the film have appeared online. Now, while specific details of the, of the plot are still be, are still unknown in spite of some nefarious YouTuber, you know, who claims otherwise, New set photos last week uh, feature extras dressed as Roman soldiers, which actually lends credence to the nefarious YouTuber's suggestion that time travel is an element in this film. Now, I yeah. looked carefully. None of these pictures had Harrison Ford uh -huh. and Phoebe, whatever her name is. Robert, um, yeah. and Right. And, and those uh, Roman soldiers. So I think it's a whole different movie that was being filmed. Oh, that's your theory, huh? Huh. Yep. Yep. I was hoping it's maybe like if you guys saw the uh, Ron Howard Da Vinci Code uh, adaptation, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. there's a point where um, Robert Langdon's explaining the MacGuffin of that film and they show all these flashbacks to different eras. I was thinking maybe Indy's okay. saying, well, this, this holy relic okay. that we're looking at back in the Roman times, you know, Roman mm -hmm, Empire. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll go for that. Please. Yeah. Please or let that be the case. Yes. It's a toga party. 
Ah, toga, toga. Toga. Sounds like, sounds like that's going to be in Ray's version. Yeah, well, I got to come up with something to fill the, the runtime. Yes. <laughs> Might as well be a toga Ray's party. Version is, exactly. Ray's version is going to be a mix up of uh, Animal House, an airplane, and Bill and Ted, Indiana, and Indiana Jones. Jones. Yeah. A little Halloween in there. Hollow, yeah, it'll be a horror movie. Yep. <laughs> all right. Hey, the Silver Shamrock yeah, theme. Yeah. The song. <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, that was 1980s news. Was it ever? Hey, this is Will from the future breaking in for a moment here to let you know that we had an additional 1980s news item, but uh, and, and it was about the upcoming Hulu series that's going to be a sequel to Mel Brooks's History of the World Part One. Really cool story. Uh, but the discussion got really, let's say, uh, passionate and lasted for about 15 minutes. And so for a number of reasons, we decided to take it out and instead share it on uh, Patreon. So if you head over to patreon.com slash 1980s now, patrons can hear uh, that along with other bonus uh, exclusive content. You're about to hear, I mentioned this, because you're about to hear us refer to that conversation as we continue with the show. Yeah, you might have to cut that first whole mess out. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think that was my fault when I talked about the trust thing. No, no, I, right. I, I had no. I think it's fine. I brought it up because I knew it was going to get Ray worked up, and then I would ha- I would get worked up. I knew that was going to happen. I just yeah. Okay, right. All right. Hey, on to okay. Hey, if you like our show, <laughs> and you probably do, <laughs> I'm censoring what I want to say, but I'm not going to say it because it's going to be bad. All right. Uh, if you like, and you know what? I blame uh, the Twitter mob for keeping me from saying the funny things I really want to say. There's some oh, Absolutely. Group. That's so, not even a lie. <laughs> so please support us. Help us. No, now, now it sounds like a show that I don't even believe in. That's not true. I don't believe any of that. Nonsense. You know that. You, you heard what I said earlier. Hey, if you like our show, uh, rate, review, subscribe, share it on Facebook, or uh, support us on Patreon. We'll tell you about that in a little bit. Hey, mm-hmm. on today's show, we're going to be talking about 10. 1980s Halloween songs, and I could probably say quote-unquote Halloween songs because a lot of these songs, or at least certainly a handful of them, many of them, maybe all of them, well, but one as I peek here, were not written for Halloween, the holiday specifically, not like, you know, a, a, a Christmas song or some other holiday song. Um, mm-hmm. They were penned for some other reason, but we and you, the listeners, associate them with this uh, upcoming holiday. All right. Um, you know, before we get into the list, I was wondering, what do you guys, because you, you obviously you all, you considered, we asked our listeners to consider what would be, what are their favorite 1980s Halloween songs. For you, what were you, what, what do you think makes a good Halloween song that sort of you had you considering something or other? Something about the musical arrangement that feels eerie, mm. spooky. That would, that's important to me. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Anything about candy works. <laughs> Anything that involves a horror movie that works mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or yeah, anything that's creepy sounding that's that's in there too. So, hmm. all right, all right. Are there movies just about or not movies? Songs just about candy? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, and Ray's obviously he's got a broader sort of uh, mm. consideration than you. I'm with more like you, Cat. As far as I, I think. Even if it were about candy, for me, uh, that it's more <laughs> eerie feeling, uh, you know, would mm-hmm. be, uh, make it more likely for me to feel like it's a Halloween song versus something else. Um, mm-hmm. But to, to raise, you know, an, raise suggestion, 
folks wrote in and they had a number of really cool suggestions. We'll mention some of the folks when we talk about some of the songs, but some of them were clever along the lines of what Ray's saying. In fact, Ray agreed with this one suggestion. I want, it's not in our list. That's why I'm mentioning it now. I want Candy by Bow Wow, which- <laughs> Bow Wow Wow. Bow Wow Wow. Which is actually a cover song of an older song. It's mm-hmm. not, it wasn't written about Candy the Treat, but <laughs> yeah. Hey, I want, guess what kids hey. are saying, sing as they knock on doors, right? Essentially. So yep. it could be a Halloween song. Yeah. Along those lines, uh, John Reddick, our friend over at uh, Gen X, growing up, suggested mm-hmm. Devil Inside. Again, Yeah. not a Halloween song, but hey, if the devil's inside- Mm-hmm. That sounds creepy and eerie, you know, right? Yeah. And I guess we should give a special thanks to Andrew Edmonds. Oh my goodness, that list. <laughs> who wow. gave us a list of 26 <laughs> songs. And I mentioned this now because, in, uh, well, a number of these, some of these are actually on our list today. Mm-hmm. Um, and some other folks suggested, but there's a number on, of, uh, of uh, suggestions on here that are clever in the way that Ray was suggesting, you know, I want candy, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. including, and I thought this was the, maybe the funniest one for me. <laughs> Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> that made me laugh. I mean, yes. <laughs> that's a that's a Halloween song kind of. Right? I mean, the connections. Yeah. It's maybe not as linear as oh no, it probably is pretty linear, but instead of like <laughs> Bow Wow Wow songs, it's like a straight shot to our doorbell being rung. And this is all right, well let's see, this is the same name as a okay, uh-huh. yeah. Hmm. We, we need to extrapolate a little, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it works. He also included on here Bat Dance by <laughs> Prince, which mm-hmm. again, I, I, I guess you get your bat kind of uh, metaphor in there. <laughs> oh. Love it. I don't know, but thank you for that, Ed, Andrew. And again, there's a number of other folks who suggested some songs and we'll make sure we mention them as we go through some of these. Okay. First up, I wanted to tell you guys about Dead Man's Party by Oingo mm-hmm. Boingo. And a number of folks uh, suggested this one, including, again, John Reddick and uh, Jamie hmm, Billich. Billick. Sorry about that, Jamie. But thank mm-hmm. you for that suggestion. Uh, Dead Man's Party is a song by Oingo Boingo, released in 1986 as their third single from their album of the same name. That album, by the, by the way, Dead Man's Party, includes their the band's most commercially successful single. Either of you guys have a guess as to what that is? No. <laughs> that was a lot of buildup. I wish <laughs> is it, it's on the tip of your tongue, right? I was gonna say, uh, yeah. I was thinking yeah. of a completely different band. Oh, okay. It's, I was wait, thinking wait, wait, of Wang yeah. Chung. Yes, I was thinking of them. Not Oingo Boingo. Weird Science. Yes, right? that's the one. Right? Yes, <laughs> the most commercially successful song. Yes, Weird Science. Uh, Dead Man's Party was written and sung by the band's frontman, Danny Elfman. Now, while the song itself mm-hmm. didn't chart, it made many appearances in pop culture, none perhaps better known than its appearance in the 1986 film Back to School, where the band performs it at a party. And I love this scene because I'm trying to remember, I don't think you know they're at the party, the way mm-hmm. they cut the, you know, it, you, you hear the song playing and it just sounds, hey, like at any party, you'd have a record playing in the background in the 1980s. And this is on right. Bongo. Yeah, of course. And as... Uh, as uh, Rodney Dangerfield's character makes his way through the party, you know, saying hello to folks, it's revealed that no, they're there on the stage. Yes. It says Oingo Boingo and there's Danny Elfman singing the song. So, um, now Elfman also, we've talked about this before, Elfman also composed the score for the film. So you didn't have to go very far to find him. It was his third score ever. He would of course go on to score a number of films throughout the 1980s, including the, uh, maybe another possible Halloween song, the theme from Tales from the Crypt. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah. huh. 
Oh, and we talked to John Kassir about that Tales from the Crypt uh, last Halloween. You should check out that, that episode. That was good. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the lyrics, it's a dead man's party. Who could ask for more? Everybody's coming. Leave your body at the door. That's pretty <laughs> uh, spot on for Halloween. <laughs> All right. Let's see who's next. All right. Teenage Frankenstein is a song by Alice Cooper. It appeared on the Constrictor album, which came out uh, September of 86. Uh, it's a single from the album. Came out in '87, but more importantly, yep. it's tied to Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Ooh. Jason lives. Okay, cool. So, uh, along with two other songs, which is "He's Back," "The Man Behind the Mask," I remember and "Hard Rock Summer," with all three of those songs appear on the soundtrack for that movie. Mm, okay. Mm. The song is written by Alice Cooper and Kane Roberts, who's a guitar player from that era. That dude is jacked. Like he is big and his guitar was a machine gun. <laughs> wow. Also on that tour was uh, Kip Winger, who oh. had gone to form Winger, who played bass for Cooper on this tour, who during this tour was also ripped. So you got these two gigantic dudes just stomping around with skinny little Alice in the middle. Oh. Um, <laughs> the, the video for the song comes from a live performance that was recorded in Detroit on Halloween night in 1986. Ooh. It was on a the, the Nightmare Returns tour. And uh, November 8th, 1986 was the first concert I ever saw that was Alice Cooper on this tour. Oh, wow. No kidding. Wow. Yep. Wow. So did these two muscle men, I know Alice Cooper is very theatrical when he's doing these shows. Did these two oh, muscle yeah. men then this look play into the vibe or the theme of the sort of... Uh, Performance? Not really, because yeah. most of the antics yeah. are him with uh, the girls that come on stage that bring out the guillotine and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he cut his head off. He hung himself. They just kind of stomp around looking like, you know, typical 80s yeah. rock stars. And I think he had like a light on the end of his machine gun. So the only to strum in it, he could make the light go off like it was <laughs> firing. Wow. But yeah, that was supposed to have Ace Fraley as the opener and he canceled on that tour. Oh, very disappointed. Oh, I remember you told about us about that yep. before. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, the, uh, the video was actually recorded on a Halloween night. So very cool. That does have cool a, connection. A, a nice connection to Halloween. Yeah. Mm. And recorded mm. on Halloween night, you know, in, in the area where they had, as we talked about this before, the night before is, what's it? Hell's night in, uh, in Detroit, uh, I believe. Was it devil's <laughs> night? Devil's night. Well, yeah, maybe devil's night. I know, Kat, I, I want to ask you that, Cat. So in Jersey City, mm -hmm. we talked about this on the show. We had mm -hmm. Mischief Night, which was the night yes. before. Did you have that down where you grew up? Yep, in, Mischief in Jersey? Night. Yeah, absolutely. That was the name for it. What kind of shenanigans would happen on there? Which I was never part of. Uh, yeah. But toilet paper and okay. eggs yep. was a, a thing. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Uh, maybe soap. Yep. People would like write on people's cars with soap, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Clean me. Um, <laughs> all right, is that it, right? Are we moving on? Uh, yeah, that wraps up that. Okay, cool. Cat. <clears throat> yeah, I always feel like somebody's watching me. We are right now, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's in my nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this song was written and recorded by Rockwell. It was released by Motown in 1984, and it was his most successful song. It reached number one internationally in a few countries. And it was only kept from the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. by both Van Halen's Jump and also Kenny Loggins' Footloose. Wow. Well, that's tough <laughs> competition, yeah. But 
it did reach number one on U.S. Billboard's hot R&B and hip hop list. Mm -hmm. But it features backing vocals by Michael and Jermaine Jackson. Right. That's uh, probably something that many people can recognize. There's a kind of a cool story associated with this song. Rockwell, he was born Kennedy William Gordy, and he's the son of the legendary Barry Gordy, CEO of Motown Records. I did not know that. Wow. Um, according to Rolling Stone magazine, he created this song on a tiny four-track recorder mm. <laughs> in his apartment. And he brought it to his dad for him to check out. And his dad <laughs> said, don't give up your day job. <laughs> Young Gordy was devastated <laughs> by this news, but he did not give up on this song. And he went around kind of a back doorway uh, through to Motown Records and he um, ended up using the stage name or nickname of Rockwell starting at that time oh. at the, at the, when he wrote this song. And um, because of being childhood friends with the Jacksons, because they all kind of hung out together, uh, they agreed to accompany him with the backing vocals. And he was signed without his dad even knowing it. Wow. So th <laughs> I guess if he was named Rockwell, then maybe his, mm -hmm. that would help. Right. That, huh? Yeah, he he just yeah, he he got a deal with and and his dad found out about it later. Like, what? How did you do this? The, <laughs> and his dad was the CEO. <laughs> the urban legend that I remember, I don't know if it's true or not, was that okay. Rockwell's mom called Michael mm -hmm. Jackson's mom and said, "Can you get Michael to sing on this for for <laughs> Rockwell?" And that's what how I, that deal was made. What I read was that actually Rockwell was over at their house visiting I think he was at the Jackson's house. Like, yeah. Hey, is um, Michael here by any chance today? <laughs> and he was playing the song for them, mm -hmm. you know, just over and over. And I guess Michael, and Michael kept calling people in the room. Hey, oh. so-and-so, hey, and keep listening, keep coming. You know, he just kept bringing people in. And apparently yep. Michael said, you know, you should do this song. Who are you going to get to sing the background oh. vocals? And Rockwell said, well, how about you? Oh, wow. <laughs> so I don't know if this is true, yep. but it, but it sounds a little more organic, but I like, I like your version. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. The version I remember. Yeah. It seems believable as well. The inspiration for the song was apparently as a kid, he noticed a nosy neighbor always <laughs> sticking their head out the window and trying to see into their apartment. And also at the time of writing the song, he lived with uh, a young woman whom he would play many pranks on. One of which was when she would be taking a shower he would, okay. um, uh, yeah. It's a joke, honey. <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> While she was washing her hair and her eyes yeah. were closed, he would go in, put his face against the glass, and then she'd open up her eyes and, ah, and scream and uh, be freaked out by the sight of a face <laughs> there. Wait, we can play jokes on women like that? <laughs> Maybe someone you're very close to. <laughs> okay. And then... Um, yeah, and even in the song, there's that line. It says, when I'm in the shower, yeah. I'm afraid to wash my hair because I might open my eyes and oh find my someone God. standing and there. He's the one. Oh. <laughs> yes. That's funny. Uh, well, there you go. This song was suggested to us by Lynn, of course, in our secret uh, Patreon exclusive uh, Facebook group, The Green Room, mm -hmm. uh, and also Lori and Sherry on, I believe it was our, on our uh, content partner, 80s Ruled, uh, on Facebook as well. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, hey, I want to tell you guys about Fright Night. Ooh. Fright Night was written by Joe Lamont and performed by Jay Giles for the movie of the same name. Mm-hmm. Did you see that movie, Kat? No. The song, it's not, you don't see it during the film. It's actually playing over the final image and continues over the, the closing credits of, of the film. Um, mm-hmm. Since you don't, aren't familiar with it, Fright Night was a 1985 comedy horror film written and directed by Tom Holland. It was actually his directorial debut. We talked about Tom Holland on our shared horror movie universe episode just a couple of weeks ago. He's the one who wrote Psycho 2 and also directed the first Child's Play film. Mm -hmm. The film itself had a sequel in 1988, a reboot in 2011, which also had a sequel in 2013. But what's most interesting and exciting to me, and I, I haven't heard, we haven't heard anything since, is that in October of last year, Holland confirmed that he was writing a direct sequel to the original film, uh, that was that was going to uh, retcon or just sort of uh, you know ignore the 1988 sequel and everything that came since. He said it was going to include the original characters as well. The film starred Chris Saran and William Ragsdale and Roddy McDowell, who I love, who's no longer with us. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. It's a really fun movie. I love that movie. I don't remember the sequel as well, so I'm not sure why um, Holland would want to just ignore that. The, the sequel is complete trash. Okay. It's unwatchable. Oh. That's why he wants to ignore it. Okay. <laughs> Must be why I don't remember it either. I mean, it, I know what William Ragsdale comes back. Roddy McDowell came back, but I don't remember at all. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Hmm. Uh, Fright Night, interestingly enough, was the final single issued by the Jay Giles Band, who are better known for their hit Centerfold yeah. and Love Stinks. And after the band produced a music video for the song, which utilized clips from the film, the band split up. So unfortunately for Jay Giles, their their legacy was closed out by a uh, a film, a song that was featured in the credits of a movie. But the movie itself huh. actually is is really good. Not um, too scary. <laughs> no, it's not too scary. It's actually pretty fun, and the, the the concept of it is is really neat as well. So it's a teenage boy who gets convinced that his next door neighbor is a vampire, and knowing mm-hmm. knowing that no one's going to believe him. He, he reaches out to the only person who he thinks may not think he's entirely crazy, who is the local host of horror movies on, on, on TV. You know, so we, oh, we had Elvira okay. and uh, Goulardi and uh, some other folks around the country that did these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So Roddy McDowell plays a character who's, uh, you know, I think his character is like a Van Helsing type, you know, a vampire hunter. Um, and mm-hmm. so he reaches out to him to convince him to help him do away with his uh, vampire neighbor. Cool. And Chris Sarandon plays the neighbor. I won't ruin it for you whether he's a vampire or not, Cat. You're just going to have to find out yourself. <laughs> All right. Uh, right. Pet Cemetery uh, is a song uh, based off the movie, the book, whichever one you want to say. Yeah. As the story goes, uh, the Ramones were playing a show in uh, Maine where Stephen King lives, and he's a big Ramones fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they came over to his house for dinner. And he gave Dee Dee, the bass player, main songwriter, a copy of the novel. About an hour later, he comes back with all the lyrics ready to go for this thing. Wow. So they go into the studio, they record it. The movie, it's in the end credits, just like the other mm-hmm. one. So I, I actually saw this in the theater for this reason to hear this song, because it was in the movie before you could buy it on cassette. Mm. So I had to wait all the way to the credits to hear it. And eventually, you know, it comes out and there's a video and all this where they're in a real cemetery around an open grave. And the weird thing about this is when asked about it, Stephen King said that story's total bullshit. That never happened. Oh, he says they've never been to my house. Oh, 
I had dinner with them at a restaurant and that was it. And he says that book, when I had dinner with them, that book hadn't even come out. It didn't come out till like a year later. (laughs) So he tells the people, he goes, you know what? Forget that. The legend's better than the truth. Leave it the way it is. And so he doesn't say anything for years. Wow. And, and to his dying day, Johnny Ramone says that that story is absolutely true that it happened. But uh, he also said that of the Ramones, when he did meet them, that Marky was the only one who was even a little bit articulate. <laughs> But he did say he loves the Ramones yeah. and they are mentioned in, in his, in the novel by name mm. and uh, several times in the movie, like when the truck driver is in the truck, you hear one of their other songs mm-hmm. playing and oh, wow. but, uh, yeah, this is the Ramones only song to chart. I think uh, it can't, it reached number four on billboards, modern rock tracks, which for them was a big deal. Wow. Yeah. It's just really weird because the song was also up for a Razzle Award as Worst Song of the Year. Oh, no. Because they used to have that category. They didn't win, but uh, I don't know who did. Mm. Um, But yeah, the song uh, Mm. basically is about the movie. You know, Mm. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. You know, cheesy stuff like that. But the Plain White Tees did a cover of it for the movie Frankenweenie in 2012. Oh. Which is basically... Just a kid's version of Pet Cemetery. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. It's all connected. Yeah. <laughs> and as you are, as we're aware, the yep. plain white tees yep. is Tom's mm-hmm. band. Right. That's right. So, Ray, when you said uh, the truck driver's listening to their moans, the truck driver who, uh, trying to spoil it for Cat. It's uh, fine. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I won't remember. Who hits the, yeah. hit, hits the kid? A ch- he's listening to Sheena is a punk rocker. I'm pretty sure if memory serves correct, it's that truck driver. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that's, that's the Ramones' fault. Uh, that's all. Uh, if anything, if, when you see that movie, I can tell you right now, the one image that's going to stick in your mind. Well, there's probably a couple. But oh, one boy. for me. What was the kid's name? Gideon or something like Gage. that? Gage. Oh, Gage, Gage, Gage. Gage going to work on uh, Herman Munster's yeah. Achilles tendon. Oh, yeah, my God. That's tough. That scene is Whew. tough. I'm getting a what? pain in my arm for some reason. Yeah. Strangely, I didn't have any pain in my testicles when telling the Vince Neal story, though, because <laughs> usually guys can't talk about that without getting phantom pain. I had pain and I don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> but now we know that they're like airbags, so we can just jump on yes. you and we'll be fine. <laughs> How many headlines are man saved by his testicles? <laughs> his belly did nothing for him, but his testicles. Wait a second, Kat, that's a good point. If we had drew a picture of Vince Neil, hang on a second here. <laughs> that's what I was saying. That, his per his personal insulation did not help his ribs. Oh, that's what you oh. meant. Oh, you're being yeah, too sorry. kind for me to understand how clever I was you being were. too euphemistic, yeah. Right. How did if his stomach now wait, Dre's drawn a picture. Oh. <laughs> All right, Ray drew a picture of it. looks like Vince Neil sitting on the figure eight, a figure eight. <laughs> I see. Basketballs. Okay, if he dropped straight down onto his behind, I guess. Yeah, I guess I was thinking he went face first and so his stomach would kept him from reaching his oh groin. But Now, you would probably go down and hit your feet first yeah. and then just kind of tip over. 
But he goes forward or backwards. But it's weird because he's shaped like a weeble wobble. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that would pull him over front ways. And then there would be no way he'd hit his. Uh, But he should have just went like this on the ground. He should have just came back up and wobbled a little bit. He bounced back onto his feet. (laughs) Weebles wobble, but they don't fall. He just pops right back up onto the stage. (laughs) Ah, okay. Hey, if you skip the news, you may want to go back and hear about that. All right. Okay, hey, I want to tell you guys about... No, I don't. Rick, you want to tell us about Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters was written by Ray Parker Jr. and Huey Lewis in the news. Right. (laughs) And it debuted at number 68 on June 16th, 1984. Mm. It peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on August 11th of 84 for three weeks. And it even got a number two on the UK singles chart um, for three weeks. As we know, um, there was a bit of controversy around this song with Huey and Huey Lewis in the news suing yep. Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarism. And of course we know it as the theme song for the movie by the same name. And, but it also has this whole separate life as a popular Halloween song. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the topic of ghosts helps with that, but the music itself mm-hmm. has sections um, notably the opening and the bridge that are eerie and creepy and there's haunted house sounding tones that to me provide a great background for halloween parties and dances and parades i i've heard this at every halloween setting i've ever been in (laughs) yeah when i was uh we used to do my wife and i would volunteer at the school and do the uh you know the halloween parties for our daughter at her class Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters is always on the playlist. Yes. <laughs> and that song was uh, suggested mm-hmm. to us by probably uh, Andrew Edmonds. I, probably, I'm guessing. But <laughs> also Kelly Ann Smith. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, Kelly. Yeah, and, and the song serves as a great background for that uh, in that movie montage that we talked about, you told us mm-hmm. about a couple of weeks ago, which I, I didn't know about that, that deleted scene. That was really interesting. <laughs> hey, I want to tell you guys about A Nightmare on My Street. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, I wanted to tell you about this song because I didn't need anybody to suggest this song. But folks did suggest it, <laughs> uh, including did Rebecca over on uh, mm-hmm. 80s Reeled Group and probably Andrew Edmonds. Probably. But An Nightmare on Elm Street is a rap song. So, of course, I knew about this one. It's the third single from DJ Jazzy <laughs> Jeff and the Fresh Prince's second album. He's the DJ. I'm the Rapper. <laughs> uh, released in early 1988, the song became a crossover hit in the U.S., reaching number 15 on the Hot 100. In the song... Smith raps about after seeing, quote, Elm Street, he is accosted by, quote, Fred, <laughs> I'm going to quote a lot of things, <laughs> who is, quote, burnt up like a weenie and wears the same hat and sweater every single day, end quote. Uh, <laughs> the song also interpolates Charles Bernstein's iconic theme from the film that, doom, 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 doom. That was not a good version of it. Okay, it sounds much better it. in the uh, and the pair also made a video for their for the song in their signature goofy style, which includes a very different looking quote Fred, <laughs> who looks more like a cross between Frankenstein's monster and the Terminator, but he does have like claws on his on his fingers. He does. The song was was considered for inclusion in in the movie A Nightmare on Elm Street Four: The Dream Master, which was released later the same year, but the producers. Uh, passed on it. Later, they would uh, opt to commission Are You Ready 
for Freddy from the Fat Boys for I think Nightmare on Elm Street five, not four, but uh, so when they did have a rap song for the film, it was from it came from the Fat Boys in the in the next film, I believe it was. Uh, when BMG tried to release the video anyway, <laughs> even managing to air it on MTV a few a few times, and I do remember seeing it on MTV because I was a fan, a big fan of Nightmare on Elm Street, love Freddy Krueger the character, and a big fan of uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. But when that happened, New Line Cinema, the copyright holders for the Nightmare franchise, sued them, you know, the record, mm-hmm. the record label for copyright infringement. And they either won or settled the case out of court, depending upon the account that you read. Regardless, as a result, the label was forced to destroy the music video for the song and vinyl pressings of the album, he's the DJ, I'm the rapper, had to include a disclaimer sticker that said, in effect, the song is not part of the soundtrack, track is not authorized, licensed, or affiliated with the films. For three mm-hmm. decades, the video was assumed lost. Uh, in fact, Jazzy Jeff told Uproxx in 2018 that his then-girlfriend had mistakenly taped over his copy, <laughs> and Will Smith's father had reportedly lost his. But in 2019, however, the video reemerged online on what appears to be Jazzy Jeff's Vivo account, uh, and the video itself it now or it, video itself has that same disclaimer that's on the records. Mm-hmm. So it's a little fuzzy as to maybe the video did survive longer than these accounts suggest because they had the disclaimer on it already. So do you think it was because they put the wrong sticker on the VHS tape? Like it says Jazzy Jeff's birthday party (laughs) and they recorded over it. (laughs) Well, no, they put the sticker on it, but then they never recorded over it. So he went to watch his birthday party years later. (laughs) He's like, that was a cool birthday party. Wow. That's my, (laughs) it's the video. (laughs) Long lost. You know, in 20, before Jazzy Jeff's version appeared, for a brief time, someone else uploaded it, but you can't, it's not, that that, that link is dead now, taken down for copyright claim. But in the middle of that version of it, it cut to growing pains before cutting back to the music video. So that's amazing. Clearly somebody was recording the show and then, oh no, that's my Jazzy Jeff collection and stopped. <laughs> Anyway, I'm a big fan of the song. I, I always wondered whether or not it was officially associated with the movie because he mm-hmm. kind of only alludes to it. He does say Fred and Nancy and, you know, the references I made. made but it was, it's not in the film, so I was never really clear about what it was. And so now, I've, now mm-hmm. I understand uh, what happened there. Cool. Halloween, Misfits. Ah, yes, Misfits. Halloween. Released as a seven-inch single on October 31st, 1981. On Glenn Danzig's own label, Plan 9. Hmm. There were about, depending on which source you, you get, there's about 5,000 copies of this thing made yep. in the original run. Uh, it's the first appearance of Doyle, who's the guitar player, has been for a long time. Hmm. And the iconic, uh, famous monsters of film style uh, font they use oh, for right. their logo. Yep. This is the first official appearance of that on the single. Mm. And it's the first time that they drop the word the mm. above the misfits. So mm. from this point forward, they're just misfits. Mm. If you can get a first edition, first pressing yeah. of this thing in excellent condition, they sell for over a thousand dollars. Wow. Mm. One's even sold for as much as like 2000 Oh, right. So if you got one of these, mm-hmm. you might want to throw it on eBay and make some cash. This sounds like <laughs> a fun little scavenger hunt to have, you know, at our local record mm-hmm. stores. We've got several in the area we could yep. s- scavenge. 
any wow. Misfits song could yep. be on this list. Like they are the inventors of the genre known as horror punk. Sure. Okay. Wow. So all their songs are about atrocities, horror movies, you know, the death mm-hmm. of Marilyn Monroe, which their band name comes from her last movie that she ever made. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. This song is about, you know, candy apples and razor blades and burning <laughs> bodies hanging from poles. And I thought it was, you, you, like you said about the, ra- the candy apples and wow. razor blades, you know, and um, you said that this song came out in early 1981. Ray and I talked about this last Halloween, I think it was. This, we were terrified as kids, right? Our parents had to go through mm-hmm. our candy and everything because right. in, yeah. in that episode last year, we talked about some of the potential sources, why that was. Because, yeah, a, a big mm-hmm. part of the razor blade myth too is, is that the dads want to get to the candy first and get the stuff they want <laughs> out of the bag. Ray so you got to check the candy. <laughs> Ray's keeping but, the story yeah. alive. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this song... Uh, <laughs> It, when it was originally <laughs> recorded, uh, Bobby Steele was their guitar player. Doyle basically re-recorded the song. And then uh, when it comes out in 85, this is after the band's already broken up because Danzig owns everything. So he puts it on an album called Legacy of Brutality. Mm-hmm. This is one of only like two songs on that album where he didn't go back and redo the guitar and the bass himself. Okay. Because that's what I was going to ask. He, didn't he do that on a lot of tracks, right? He would just go and re-record. And then there's a big lawsuit between the band members and him, you know, claiming oh, he hmm. didn't actually write everything they ever did. And he says, no, nah, I did. Cause he owns the copyright. So he just says, yeah, I did. So, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah. And then in uh, 2002, Alkaline Trio recorded a cover of it. And at their October 31st, 2002 show at the Metro in Chicago, they gave them away to the fans that showed up. Oh. If you got one, I don't know what those are worth. Probably not as much as the original one, but it's still yeah. a cool little thing to have. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, I want to tell you, I want to tell you about uh, Trick or Treat by Fastway. And this was suggested by a few folks. Um, hmm. Let's see, including Romeo and Chuck. Those are two separate folks. Romeo, he suggested. <laughs> Chuck suggested it, both on the 80s Ruled group. Again, it's our network or content partner, 80s Ruled. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, um, Trick or Treat by Fastway. So this... Actually, Trick or Treat, the album, uh, was released in 1986. It's the fourth album by the heavy metal band Fastway, as I mentioned. It's, but it's also the soundtrack for the heavy metal horror film by the same name. And if you really want a more in-depth chat about this film, Ray takes us through the real, uh, the real treat, for lack of a better word at the moment, that Trick or Treat is in a Patreon-exclusive episode that uh, if you go to patreon.com slash 1980s, now you can uh, find out how you can uh, hear that. Uh, the film stars, as Ray told us, the film stars Mark Price, who's better known as Skippy on Family Ties, and Tony Fields, who actually was a dancer who passed away a couple decades ago, but he appeared in a number of music videos, videos throughout the 1980s, including Thriller, which is, you know, also a great mm. Halloween song. With, and the film has special appearances by Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne. The, the story centers around a teenager who's haunted by the ghost of his rock hero, Sammy Kerr. The uh, fictional rock star's music was composed by Fastway. So when we talk about Sammy Kerr and all of his music, it's actually Fastway's music that I'm telling you about here off this Trick or Treat album. Uh, But Fastway composed it with the the composer for the film, Christopher Young. Young, by the way, later composed music for a number of other horror movies, including Hellraiser 1 and 2 and Drag Me to Hell. In 1985, so right before this, this came out, Fastway, which has sort of an interesting beginning. They had become successful though before 85, but then there were some lineup changes. They released this album called Waiting for the Roar, where they move away from their metal sound 
and instead decide to do more album-oriented rock. So, you know, in my mind, they're less Black Sabbath and more Hall & Oates all of a sudden. <laughs> and the fans did not like this. I mean, oh. <laughs> you know, last week we were talking about bands that changed their sound in the 80s. I guess you could add Fastway. But the difference being, and this is a whole other category, Fastway got the message and they were like, oh no, we should do what we were doing before. <laughs> uh, and so they were approached right around this time that they got, were getting the bad news about the sales for this uh, uh, AOR album. They were asked to do the soundtrack for Trick or Treat. And although the film flopped, and again, you got to hear Ray tell us about this film. It's just kind of a crazy film. Uh, but the soundtrack did reestablish Fastway as a hard hitting metal band. And the soundtrack was a moderate success for the group staying at the Billboard or staying on the Billboard Top 200 for 11 months. Hmm. All right, cool. So there you go about that. Even more about Trick or Treat. Kat, you and I didn't know. We didn't realize we, there was more to know about it. No. Again, Ray told us like 99% <laughs> about it. And I gave you a tiny little, again, treat. Oh gosh, I don't know, whatever. Okay, hey. So Kat, you've got the uh, honor, distinction of telling us about the, the final song, which oh. is maybe the most influential and most popular, well-known, quote unquote, Halloween song. Yeah. I want to say it. Look, short of, uh, I don't know, Monster Mash, maybe, of all time. Yeah. Uh, and this song was recommended to us by a number of folks, including Lucy Webb, Randall Barlow, Christine Times, Dorothy Bofiel, Amelia Zhang Carta, Penny Parham. Parham. And probably Andrew Edmonds, yeah. <laughs> so tell us about our final song here. Okay, it is Thriller, released in the U.S. in January 1984. It was the seventh and final single from the album of the same name. It was written by Rod Temperton, who had written for Jackson's 1979 album, Off the Wall. And oh, yeah. he, Rod Temperton, wanted to write a song that connected to Michael Jackson's love of movies and film. Mm -hmm. So apparently that was an inspiration or beginning inspiration for this. Uh, of course, the song makes use of overtly... Um, spooky sound effects like creaky doors and footsteps, wind, thunder, howling dogs, <laughs> all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I, uh, I found really cool reading about, I hadn't really thought about much myself, but it makes use of a chord progression in the beginning that right. sets the tone that something thrilling is coming. In M Magazine, uh, Rod Temper Temperton was quoted as saying, I wanted it to build and build a bit like stretching an elastic band throughout the tune to heighten suspense. So, and I was re-listening to it and I thought, yeah, that's exactly what's happening there. Mm. So, um, of course the lyrics are full of all kinds of spooky horror content and, but what some might consider the tour de force is at the end with Vincent Price mm -hmm. reciting the scary blurb. And uh, reportedly, Temperton composed that in a taxi on his way to the studio <laughs> on the day of recording. Dude, <laughs> that little <laughs> you're writing a thing for Vincent Price. He's in the studio. You couldn't have done it at least a night before. <laughs> You'd think uh, that little bit tidbit was according to Telegraph in the UK. Uh. But um, but this this song's popularity surges around Halloween. Enough to make it re-enter the Billboard Hot 100 a couple of times here and there. Yep. <laughs> like it was number 42 in 2013 and number 31 in 2018. It just keeps on coming back. And um, 
yeah, for me, kind of like Ghostbusters, it's uh, omnipresent in, in all kinds of settings having to yeah. do with Halloween. Yeah, I do. I remember, you know, I remember reading that. So Thriller itself, you know, off, so the Thriller mm-hmm. album, right, is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we had the Eagles, I think, take the overtake Thriller a few years ago as the number one record sell, okay. uh, album sold of all time. I think, mm-hmm. I think. I, yeah, but the problem with that is that's a best of. So oh, I don't okay. even think that should count. Mm, so, all right. So maybe point. it's original. Maybe mm. if you say it's originals and it's still Thriller. But I, so, and, and the reasons why, right? Thriller had Billie Jean, had Beat It, which mm-hmm. were huge singles mm-hmm. and had music videos that backed them. Um, mm-hmm. But Thriller, at first, they didn't want to release it as a single because they thought, who's going to want to hear a single on a radio about monster movies? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so... Uh, when the sales of the album started to wane, it was mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. manager, I think, of Michael Jackson who said, hey, you know what you need to do? You had that awesome two videos, Billy, Billy Jean and Beat It. Release mm-hmm. a music video for this one. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, all, it's, it's, it's simple. Just do scary things and dance around. And so, <laughs> of course, Thriller became its whole other, you know, again, look, I'm not oh, being very creative right now. Whole other monster, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better word. Monster uh, hit? You know, a, a huge hit. Um but then that yeah. feeds back into the popularity of the, of the song, which is released as a single, which, you know, mm-hmm. obviously makes the album sales go up again. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I remember also reading that about the video uh, that it was going to cost a lot of money, obviously, to mm-hmm. make it. And so, and, and this, the credit was given to Michael Jackson for this, although, you know, I guess you don't really know. I don't know how astute of a business person he was. Hey, he bought Paul McCartney's, uh, you know, the Beatles rather song catalog. So- <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, he, and he did that after getting advice from Paul McCartney about, you know, uh, diversifying his uh, business interests. But in order to fund the thriller video, which no one wanted to pay for because it was so much, he had mm-hmm. the idea to hire a film crew to make a documentary about the making of Thriller while they were doing it and <laughs> sold the rights to air that, I think it was to MTV and Showtime, who aired the wow. making of it right after the premiere of the video. So thereby uh-huh. making even more money than it costs to make the video and making a profit on the making of the video itself. Wow. And don't forget in <laughs> yeah. 1985, yeah. Donga. Oh, yes. How <gasps> could we forget? Wait. Oh, my God. Is that that? Wait, wait. Somebody posted. Did you it post is. that, right? Of course yeah, I posted yeah, it. Yeah, sure it. Oh, my gosh. I remember looking oh at that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Wow. And so, yes. so this is a music number. Uh, the music, oh. There's a music number in this Bollywood film, this Hindi film, that is homage to Thriller, if not oh attempting to be somewhat of a knockoff of Thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an <laughs> it's a Indian uh, film by the directed by A. Kandandaharami Reddy. Nailed it. <laughs> it's as close as I'm going to get. <laughs> and it's a dream sequence is what it is in the movie. Right, but it's okay. based, the whole dream sequence is the thriller video with, da- with but their dancing is like Indian dancing. Yep. But he has on the red jacket that's kind of yes. similar with the yellow eyes. And it's, a, it's an amazing video and I suggest everyone go see it. And it's also one of the very first videos to ever be posted to YouTube. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who hasn't tried to do the, you know, the. Oh, <laughs> my, my wife and I had a goal one year to learn the whole dance <laughs> so we could do it at this Halloween party. But. Oh my gosh. Oh, never that's amazing. It. Yeah. Oh, maybe this year. <laughs> oh, maybe this year. 
maybe. <laughs> and you know, another thing, gosh, there's so many things about Thriller. Talking about the uh, the Vincent Price quote unquote rap that was written in the mm-hmm. taxi cab. There's actually unheard <laughs> lyrics. All of the rap that Vincent Price did did not make it into the final song that was released as a single. Oh, there are okay. some lines that were not included and um, mm-hmm. they are available online. I think there's an acapella version of the Maybe the whole song, which is kind of funny anyway to hear Michael Jackson hee hee heeing without any music in the background. <laughs> but they, the, some of the lyrics are even more sort of, uh, I don't know, dark than what actually made it into the final cut, including, I have written down mm. here, the demons squeal in sheer delight. It's you they spy, so plump, so right. Oh my. And also yeah. Vincent Price says, <laughs> you know, if, if folks remember Vincent Price and his sort of, you know, sort of his affect and how he spoke, says, mm-hmm. can you dig it? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> that didn't make it, but probably for good reason because it says it sounds it's really incongruous. The, right, right. The Vincent Price character. His laugh at the end is amazing. Oh that yeah. Vincent oh Price my gosh. Laugh. Yeah. I used to crank call people in the 1980s and just play that laugh. You did? Uh, why? Why not? I don't know. Yeah. Me and my friends we would have that queued up. Yeah. Wow. Uh, ha, ha. Oh no, Cat looks like she's judging me now. Like I know, she has no, a whole no, other no, no, perspective no. on me now. <laughs> I keep having all sorts of other perspectives on you. No, we have to end the show. So Kat can know no more than me and still has a good uh, impression of me. It's all Mm -hmm. good. It's all good. All right. Hey, I guess that's it, right? Yep. Sure. We missed some songs. We missed a ton that were on Andrew's list. Oh my gosh. uh, Thanks to everybody who sent us in a recommendation. There's so many more songs that we can include, but these are the ones we included. So if you want to complain, let me know. Uh, You can email me directly at (laughs) 1980snow. And then Ray will do a Patreon special on them. Or uh, all of them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send me the list. All the songs that Andrew mentioned and the other folks yeah, mentioned yeah. that didn't make it. Patreon. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of that, our show is brought to you in part by the wonderful folks who support us over at Patreon, including and especially John Henderson, Craig Coletta, Bart Arnold, and John Kaminsky. Thanks, guys. Yes, thank you. And you all can join them by going to patreon.com slash 1980s now to help support future episodes. Hey guys, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. See you. I was being spooky. You have to really exaggerate that. You've got to, you've got to do it more like, ooh. <laughs> See you. Later.